Hey, I'm Mike Joseph, and thank you for listening to Detoxicity, a show by men, about men, but for everyone. I hope you enjoy the content of this podcast, and I want to let you know about a few things you can do to support us and our mission to challenge traditional notions of masculinity and create a more communicative, positive, and loving environment for all. You can subscribe to Detoxicity on any podcast platform that you use to listen. We are available just about everywhere. Also, don't hesitate to rate and comment as these help us move up in the podcast rankings. I'm on social media, or at least I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok as Detox Pod Guy. Feel free to drop me a follow. Now I have a Patreon page, yay! And uh, Patreon gives you the opportunity to get cool merch and exclusive episodes of this podcast in exchange for subscribing. Go to patreon.com slash detoxicitypod to find out more. Uh, finally, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, whether you found an episode of the podcast particularly enjoyable or enlightening, or you know someone who'd be a great guest, or you'd like to offer constructive criticism, or if you yourself would like to be on the podcast, hit me up. Reach out to me at one of the aforementioned social media channels, or if you're old school like I am, drop me an email, detoxpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and take care. Happy New Year, friends. I hope that your 2024 has gotten off to a good start. I, my 47-year-old brain cannot believe that we're in 2024. Anyway, I wanted to start the year off on the most positive foot possible, and I can't think of any more positive way to ring in 2024 and a new year of detox episodes with my friend Justin Levinson. Uh, Justin is a music executive, he's a motivational speaker, he is an author, uh, he is a survivor, he is a a partner, a uh, son, and uh, he his book is called You Are Stronger Than You Think, How to Awaken the Superhero Within. Uh, he talks about his journey as a brain cancer survivor. I met Justin uh, back in November at a conference and was just blown away, uh, blown away uh, by his attitude, and uh, it certainly reflects over the course of our conversation. So, uh, get those headphones on, plug in, and uh, get ready to hear Justin's story. Here he is. Hello, world. My name is Justin Levinson, and I am 45 years old. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I originally grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, so I am a product of the South, of the Southeast here. I moved to Nashville in 2000 with my percussion gear and a lot of drive in tow. And the short story is that I've had a career in the music industry, both teaching, playing, and a lot on the business side for the past, I don't know, 23-ish years or so in Nashville. When I first moved to town, I was working, teaching high school percussion and private lessons and randomly got a job at this company called CSAC, which at the time I had no idea what that was. It's a music <laughs> company representing songwriters. And I got a job as a bill collector. So I have always thought I might win the award for the least sexy job in the music industry. <laughs> yeah, everybody yeah, wants the money. I mean, Nobody wants to know who's handling the money. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, in the reality, if you are a restaurant, bar, et cetera, thing that where music's a part of your business, you don't really understand how copyright law works. I worked in the business side of that for a long time, and it took me a while to really learn that. And I really was intentful to try. So anyway, the, the important part about that journey is that it became a family to me, both professionally and being taken under people's wings and, and had information poured into and mentorship poured into, but also emotionally and socially as a family that certainly came into my life at different parts of my life more than others. 
So right now I work at a software company called OpenPlay. And since I left CSEC in 2016, I worked at Big Machine Label Group, which is a collection of record labels. And as the world would have it, my current boss was my Make Sure Justin Can Hang interview into my record label <laughs> job at Big Machine Label Group and yes. has really just become a good friend and mentor and really looked after me and tried to put me in different roles to help help me grow more. So. I do that. And Mike, as you know, I'm a big advocate of being a servant leader and being of service to others. And so throughout my story, it's a lot about that, right? Because I've found that for me, while I am driven by business, uh, balance is the most important thing for me. And where maybe the equation of what equals balance, you know, it might have always be changing throughout my life. A, there's constants for me in there, right? And that's a whole lot of joy, right? And having fun and like work-life balance, but also service, right? And so whether that's been nonprofit boards, volunteer things, one-on-one -on -one mentoring, whatever it is, it's always been a part of my balance, you know? And as I now look and think, I got to make sure that's the area that I want to make sure it's always there. Because when that's not there, nothing else is really uh, grooving for me. I feel that. Was mentorship or service always something that was uh, present for you and prominent for you when you were getting out of college and you were starting to work? Uh, was there still that element of, I want to do good things for people? Or was that something that you grew into? I definitely think I've grown into it and it was always there. And what I mean by that is I recognized before college, that music educators had made a big impact on my life, right? And so I thought that I wanted to go be a music educator and went to school to do that because I saw the teaching, that mentorship, that guidance, sometimes that kick in the pants, whatever it was, is what was really helpful for me. When I moved to town, a couple years into moving to Nashville, I got involved in a young professional organization, SOLID, which is, stands for Society of Leaders in Development, but it's ultimately... The main qualification is that you at least work for one year full time on the music, or excuse me, on the business side of the music industry. Well, uh, that organization serves every area of leadership, including service. And so for me, that was an opportunity to start going to a Habitat for Humanity build and mentoring college students through those partnerships. And whereas it certainly evolved, that was something I recognized early on of, hey, this is an important part of this being a part of this organization, thus to my life. Equally as much as the happy hours, right? Or whatever else was going on, there was always this balance there. But to your point, I guess in summary, it certainly evolved as uh, I call it the dissolution of the ego attachment to who <laughs> I thought I was supposed to be, right? And maybe who I thought I wanted to be. And as I peel back those layers during different seasons of my life, at the end of the day, it's the service that really is the mission, whatever other tool sets and things are, are just that right there. But the mission is service to others. Who poured into you when you were a kid and you maybe didn't need mentorship or did need mentorship or knew you needed mentorship or didn't know you, whatever. Who are the people that made Justin the person that he is? Well, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't say my parents first, right? Because it, I grew up in a pretty open-minded house and not the most open-minded community, meaning we're in the South. It's not always known for the most open-minded. You know, I don't like broad generalizations, but if I was going to give one. But I grew up the son of a Jewish dad and a Catholic mom. 
in a very much Protestant South learning about the subconscious mind. And they always did without to pour, to, to allow me to have music and to whatever it meant for me to be able to go thrive. And so I got to say them. And then for me, a lot of my big impactful moments in that early part of my life were through music educators, which I think informed some of my passion for teaching. And now as I sit here at 45, the past 25 years, a lot of the pouring into me is from mentors on more of the business side, right? Of that I, well, at least I met through the business side of my career. They pour into me a lot of life lessons, but I think it was that. And then I think you, you likely embody this fully of uh, when you're interested in something, being aware of how that something exists around us, right, allows us to be like, oh, I want some of that, or I don't want some of that, or I want a lot of that. And so uh, I think in my sphere, uh, being surrounded by so many people that were serving others, and I was like, oh, well, first of all, there's opportunities to jump in, but most importantly, there's an example of what that looks like, right, or examples of what that can look like. But I've always said, and I haven't won a Grammy yet. I've played on a Grammy winning record, but I'd always say when I win my first Grammy, I'm going to thank my drum teachers and my percussion teachers, because for me, they were the ones that taught me how to push myself beyond the limits of my own capacity in that moment and were able to teach me how to break things down in my head. And I think my wife maybe learned those lessons through a basketball coach or other people. And there's, I think, plenty of opportunities in our lives where people can have that influence on us. For me, initially, it was outside of my home. It was music educators and specifically these drum teachers that were teaching me and pushing us at this world-class level. Thankfully, I'm close with a lot of them now. So it's really cool. I've told them that many times. So yeah, there's a long answer to that. No, I appreciate the long answer. And the follow-up question I was actually going to ask you and you answered it was, are you still in touch with some of the people who poured into you when you were younger? And it's awesome that the people who educated you who put time into you when you were young can now get get their flowers from you. I think it's important for people to yeah. acknowledge folks that have helped them along the way. Absolutely. Man, okay. We're wrapping up this year. I don't know when this is coming out, but this is December or 18th or something. Yep. And early this year, my mindset was, what does Justin want to do? And in some ways, I'm still answering that question. But it was one, I want to get closer back to the music. And so I was sitting at this restaurant and this woman sits down next to me with her computer and she starts working on it. I said something about productive lunch. I love that. And turns out she's a coach. Turns out we have this whole conversation. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going through this phase of my life trying to figure out what the next success looks like and what I want and other things. And I said, I wrote this book, but I haven't done anything with it. And I just kind of put it on a shelf and started this new job. And then she immediately turned in coach mode. She was like, okay, what's one thing you can do today to push the, the book forward? And I started talking. She was like, nah, that's just talk, talk, talk. What, what can you do? Long story short, I left there with, she was going to call me tonight to make sure that I wrote my old bosses from CSAC a note and sent them all an autographed copy of the book because I said, this is something I've wanted to do. I talk about some of them in the book. And so I did that. I immediately hear from them. And this summer, as a result of reaching out, that me and three of them who are like two father figures and a mother figure of my professional life, we all went and had lunch together. That's amazing. It was awesome. It was amazing, right? But to your point of giving them their flowers, all three of us had great conversations one-on-one before we even had lunch, right? And was able to express to them 
hey, man and woman, this is the way I see us and you, and this is how impactful you were, et cetera. So I was able to give extra flowers this year, which is great. Yay. Circling back to your childhood, I'm curious, growing up in the South as half Jewish, half Catholic, did, did people give you shit? Did you run into any issues there? Interestingly enough, I, I never knew it was a thing or any conversation piece until I went to college, right? Mm. So nothing about my dad being Jewish, my mom being Catholic. I, kn- I didn't think that was weird, right? I knew it was different, right? Because we lit Hanukkah candles, but also Santa Claus came. And I was an altar boy at church because they decided to raise us Catholic. But I didn't know it was a thing. The only thing I did experience is I remember going with uh, a friend, and I don't remember exactly what Protestant religion, but it was a Protestant religion. And I went to a Halloween event that was somewhat of a a haunted house, but it was kid-friendly to a degree, right? And after that, we're in this room in some like multi-purpose classroom building, something. And it was all like, close your eyes and raise your hand if you know you're saved and you're going to, whatever the terminology was, it was absolutely foreign to me. I'd never heard anybody talk like that. And I didn't raise my hand. And afterwards, I said, okay, great. Thank you. If you didn't raise your hand, stick around in the room and everybody else can leave. And I was the only one left in the room. Oh. And I felt like, whoa. I felt alienated a bit. I felt super uncomfortable. I didn't really understand what was going on. And the reality is my relationship at that point with heaven and hell, I was very much, I was going to heaven. Of course, I'm going to heaven. I, I ask for forgiveness when we sin. We do these things. I've been taught this, this religion and this is what you do. But we never called it those things. And so I was left with this feeling of, oh, that feels uncomfortable. That feels weird. You know, right. where like, look, Mike, I try to act as an adult, sit with what feels weird. Right. But as a kid, that's my memory. But I'll often say, man, I, I would go to the Wednesday night churches, Protestant Baptist church, because one, they fed us dinner, but the hot girls were there. Right. And so <laughs> the only difference is we may go smoke some bad marijuana in the parking lot before we went in. Right. And we weren't there necessarily for spiritual you know, guidance, right. but it was just community, right? And so uh, I never knew it was a thing. Then as an adult, it, I started having these conversations, right? And then I started at the same time being introduced to the spiritual world beyond an organized dogmatic religion. And that's when as an adult, I got really curious. And then I started working a lot as a percussionist with a very successful Jewish composer, and we were playing at what I call straight up super Jew conferences. What, is, Jew- what does that even mean? I know, man. <laughs> Jewish educators, cantors, rabbis coming together to best practices, et cetera, like any trade kind of meeting. And it was super impactful. And we would always be one of the nightly performers, right? But I felt, and I feel to this day, half of my blood is Jewish, right? So I felt a connection to some of what was being talked about. And my mom's so cute after that. She said, Justin, if you want to, change to be Jewish, you know, you can't convert that. Thank you. She says, just please still come home for Christmas. And she just bit that because that's love and community for her. Right. And that's the time of year, but it, we're more spiritual people here. If you saw the front of our house, it's got lights on it and it's wreaths and Christmas, but also we may celebrate the winter solstice and connect with other representative items and other things that express positive energy and other things that spiritual or otherwise, right? So no and yes, right? And straight up, man, like real life today, my wife has a last name that's Levinson. Like 
I'm not Jewish technically. And by any Jewish scripture, my mom's not Jewish. So I, I could convert to reform Judaism, right? But I've never felt that kind of calling from within. But sure. my wife and I have talked about with all the stuff going on in the Middle East and as horrible as that all is saying, you know, it's the first time ever in her life that she's thought, oh, I may be perceived to be Jewish. And not that that's bad, but just that it's, it's such an intense ex- experience going on right now in the world of of religion and violence and other things. And, and to be fair, and peace and joy, right? Yes. But, you know, we know the darkness because of the light and we know the light because of the darkness, right? So. Anyway, that's a, a longer answer there again, but... I, I'm here for the long an, answers, Justin. I've only met you in person once, but you yeah. have such a an inviting spirit, a, a warm spirit. There's a warmth about you. And before I even knew your story, or, you know, knew your story in any depth, because you delivered a panel at the uh, conference that I met you at. Shout out to Nick and, and mm-hmm. everybody at Jump Global. So I got to know a little bit about your story, but then I started reading your book, and got to know your story in a, in a somewhat more intimate fashion. And through that book, it's so, I want to say light, but not in the way that most people would perceive something light. It's not lightweight. It is, it is bathed in light. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the right word to use is. But in a world that does not necessarily foreground light and positivity, how do you maintain light and positivity? And then reflect that to others. Imperfectly is the first word that comes to my brain. It's a journey, man. It's a decision. But I also believe that it can become a habit too. But like straight up in my partnership with my wife, as recently as this morning, I may need a reminder, right, of perspective. And those reminders have to be able to be received without tremendous self-judgment, right? And so the ability to look objectively at yourself and think, could I have done that better without depressing down some spiral of guilt and shame or whatever. So I think part of it is intentions, being self-aware to know when I may have strayed from this place I want to try to cultivate and live in and sit in loving myself for that appreciation of that and the fact that it's going to happen again, right? I am human, but it's straight up a decision. And I think that decision in the macro impacts who we bring in our life, who we keep in our life, the kind of situations like people like you that you just connect with, like we're on the same kind of energetic level, right? Orbiting in the same circles, right? And we just happen to connect at this place, but out of 250 people, I connected with you maybe more than the majority of others. That's right. awesome. Absolutely. So I, I, I think, and it's also this vocabulary of tools, right? That, that I try to always keep at hand. I, but again, I keeps coming back to imperfectly because it's just like with anything in our life, think of your new year's resolutions or other goal setting. Most of us are not a hundred percent at all those. And so to me, living with this root of positivity is this muscle and this way of being to keep practicing and keep coming back to. I, I tried to talk about it in the book without offending any religion. That's why I talked about it as the center, 
right? And now that you even know a little bit more about my background, you kind of understand a little bit. That's me trying to don't let the words get in the way of the message. And I feel like I sound like some Southern gospel right now, but don't let the word get in the way of the positive thing that can impact your life. Right. And because my message was not here to convince you to take on a new vocabulary word, but it's more of like, maybe this could be an instrument of hope for you or your loved ones, and maybe give you a tool to impact your life today. So I think uh, that's what they call it a practice. I keep hearing all my yoga teachers through the years. That's why they call it a practice. practice. And it's that same thing. And I was just sitting around, oh, there was something right around here to made me think about it. But I think it's just a practice with positive intentions. Uh, I, I appreciate that. So let's, let's talk about the fact that you did write a book. And uh, what possesses a human being to write a book? In, <laughs> in your specific case, what was <laughs> the impetus for you to be like, I'm going to become an author? Oh, man. Okay, well, so you know why. But the quick story is, as I would tell it, February 3rd, 2014. It was a normal post-Super Bowl hungover Monday. And the last memory I have on my brain is 12.06 on my office computer. And 40 minutes later, I woke up surrounded by paramedics on the floor of my office. And a quick ambulance ride over to Vanderbilt. Irregular CT scan, did an MRI. Five doctors walk in my room and tell me that I have a brain tumor. And... The first words out of my mouth were, this is going to be the most amazing positive experience of my life. This has not happened to someone like me for no reason. And I'm going to help so many people through this experience. And for the first time, I could just say that was a through me moment, right? But that's just where I was the whole time. And going back to what you just said about cultivating positivity, that's where I was the whole time. I had plenty of moments that I wasn't there tactically that I was upset, that I was mad, that I was frustrated, that I was sad, that I was lonely, that I was scared. All those things are real, right? But in that moment, that's just where I was. So my buddy, John Romero, started a little blog and said, man, you should start writing. So I started writing just to manage the news, right? And two and a half weeks after that seizure, I had a craniotomy. Vanderbilt removed about a tennis ball-sized tumor from my left frontal lobe. The best quote you never want to hear of, You've got the best kind of brain cancer you can have. We think you're going to live 60 more years. I was 35 at the time. I said, sir, well, I'd always thought I was going to live till 97. So can we do anything to negotiate with those extra two years? And he kind of just looks at me. But that's just always had this mindset, right? And much like the conference that we met, right? I had been a student of the mind-body connection, just like I am today, spiritually and otherwise, since I was an adult, right? And... I just never really shared a lot of that with my music peeps. And some of my friends that knew me would know that I'd always coach them when I heard them doing negative self-talk or they would say words that were contrary to what they really wanted. And they would repeat these words. And so I try to always lovingly point that out and coach them a bit. But come on, when life hits us, what do we do when it's trauma, when it's serious emergency, we fall back on what we know and the people that we know. And so, uh, I fell back there. But as I'm preparing the business of death and going through will and medical power of attorney, and all of a sudden this feedback starts coming to me from my friends, all these songwriters and producers that I've worked with as a musician my whole career, and the people that I've never met before telling me that my words are inspiring them. And that feeling of knowing that something I'm doing from within without trying to help anybody, just communicating, is helping someone. I was like, shit, how do I feel like this? Selfishly, this feels amazing. How do I go do like this? Screw the music industry. 
And because I never felt like that in the music industry. I never felt like that in my life, right? And I've always known I have something to say. I don't even think I'm fully saying it all yet in my life, but I felt called. And maybe you can relate to this, but I had always heard in my life about people being, quote, called to the Lord, called to God. And that's beautiful. I just never related to that. I never felt that. But man, I just felt this calling that this is about more than me, that I'm supposed to help myself heal and then help share this inspiration with other people. And uh, so I just kept documenting and I've got hours of video footage of myself taken alone in my condo with my cell phone, just hours of it. And I just started writing and kept writing and kept sharing. And so in short, I felt weirdly called and that calling was also motivated by how good I knew it felt to help other people. And this was the most impactful I had helped outside of helping build your home or something for Habitat. This was something from within that was helping people. And then the biggest lesson of all, I think, as a result of cancer for me, that I, to judge myself less and to love myself more, right? And so that simple phrase is absolutely the most impactful thing that's come from my cancer journey. The healing of cancer was way more of an emotional healing for me than it was the cellular tissue of my brain where they cut the damn thing out, right? And my wife wouldn't be in my life if I didn't love myself enough. Because you know what? People that love themselves typically in a healthy relationship don't want to be with people that don't love themselves. <laughs> and I always held love so far out at an arm's distance, right? Honestly, meaning I was honest about it. I never wanted to be hurtful to other people, but I was really good at after two or three months telling you why this wasn't going to work out. And it was probably the thing I thought our second date, but it was fun and we're doing whatever and we can just hang. So that was the impactful part of that whole experience, right? Of, of judging myself less, loving myself more and truly feeling called to how do I go carry this energy forward to help other people? Because if I can help people without trying, how could I help people if I was actually trying to help them? Calling, obviously, the first uh, connection you make is a religious calling. But a calling can be anything, right? It can be, I'm called to perform music. I'm called to be a professional biker or whatever it is. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like the spots where you find the most purpose are in those callings. Um, I mean, you feel called to host this podcast and bring people in front of the world to talk about some of these topics, right? That to me is a calling as well. It it is. And I, I, there's a part of me that's also like, damn, that sounds really highfalutin, but it, it, this is something that I think I'm good at that can help people. And as it's grown, I've felt more and more compulsion to do it. I, I wonder about the pushing away part. Was that something that was exclusive to your, I hesitate to call them romantic relationships because one of my major things is that all friendships are romantic. Um, was it something that you were doing specific to potential life partners or was it a friend thing as well? What is your relationship to the distance? I think it was to potential life partners. Right. And it's a great question. I remember having to have early conversations with my mom that there was other joyful paths in life other than 
okay, you're 25 or 6, 30, and you can meet someone and you can have, get married and have a kid and do those things. When literally I was 23 and working in the music industry and going on tour and playing arenas with artists and having fun and living downtown in my condo and having a great time and traveling the world. And I would talk to her about joy in other ways, right? But then I also feel like relationships, I, I, I think I look at scars maybe from my mom and dad's relationship. Thankfully, they're still together and they're still here on earth. And I remember a lot of tension in the household with them. I remember dramatic early relationships where I would absolutely pick a woman that there's no way in hell we're supposed to be partners, right? <laughs> my path would say we're supposed to be together and have this experience together, but we're too different, right? We're not going to do that. But you were hot and you were fun and we had a good time and whatever. So there was some of that that just made it a little easier. But then it gets back to why were you making those decisions? Well, was I not worthy of it? I don't know. I never processed that thought that you're not worthy of this kind of love. Because in my head, I always had this picture of Judith, of a woman that we play hard, we work hard, there's passion. And I felt like whether we call it a marriage or we call it just a committed relationship didn't matter to me. I've always been a man of my word. If I say something, it's just the way it is. And so that's a great question. Maybe I'll have a better answer later. But I think if anything, it was, I remember thinking like, I don't want drama, right? (laughs) And part of that was looking at the relationship of my parents and also my parents and my sister, who to this day have a very codependent relationship with each other. My sister's had a rough path, some stuff happening in her life that you would never wish on people to go through. And my parents, I think, as a result of their guilt of the, of some things that maybe were precursors to that experience, feeling like they have to cushion her, et cetera. And, you know, she's a, a 42-year-old brilliant woman who has just had a, a rougher path at it, right? And so it's always seemed very dramatic and very tense, and there's always something going on. And mm-hmm. the reason I even put my hand out like that is because I left the home in 1997. I left Birmingham, and I've went to college and I haven't lived at home since. Right. So that's what almost 26 years. Right. And so I've always been like a a part of the family, but I'm the only one that doesn't live right there together in Birmingham. And so I think through my own perceptions, through my own vision, my own experience, I've witnessed things that always felt very dramatic and tense. So I, I would think that certainly knowing what I know about the world, like that has to have impacted me, right? Because literally I sought out therapy on multiple occasions of, first of all, let me make sure I'm in check and I got my stuff together. But also how can me as a healthy person be a healthy part of my family dynamic, right? With my mom who struggles with things, my parents, my sister, the codependency. And so that is the only other energetic thing that's always been a presence as part of my definition or experience of marriage and family, where a lot of joy, straight up joy, but also some tension and fighting. And to this day, my mom would probably tell you about how two weeks after she got married, she was alone because dad took a job to travel. And she she brought that up two years ago. And my wife and I were like, whoa, man. Wow. We didn't know that, but she's still bringing it up. So that means there's still some pain associated with that somewhere. And that was like 1976, man. So it's even a lesson for all of us of like, we always got to make sure we're trying to deal with our stuff. As Judith, my wife will say, if we don't deal with it, it comes out sideways and you don't Mm -hmm. get to choose when it comes out sideways. Give Judith a high five Like I referenced this morning, I had some stuff come out sideways a little bit that I thought was going to come out like love, but it came out sideways instead. I don't always blame the listener. It's like, 
Well, my intention was to come out as love, but shit, something I said, some tone of my voice, something did not come out like the love that I was trying to emote, evoke and speak through. Right. So I think that that was a lot of it. And then straight up, man, I was having fun. I think the other part of it was growing up. I never got the attention from the women that I really wanted. They all wanted to talk to me on the phone about their boyfriends and be friends because I was maybe a little wise and old soul, right, for my were, age. Were you, were you the sensitive guy? I, I could talk, man. I went to therapy <laughs> starting age 5 to 18. Whoa. I was a feeler going to therapy because of shit that went down in my household. But what's interesting is I'm a deep, sensitive feeler. I feel people's energy and emotion and all kind of stuff. But in therapy, they teach you how to think, right? And so as a kid, I was learning coping skills and thinking skills and how to witness all this. Meanwhile, things are very traumatic in my nearby orbits. As I've learned, both my super mom and super dad proved to me at an early age that they were not supermen super. and superwoman, yeah. yeah. right? Mixed with, as I've learned, a certainly spiritual tighter network of the three of them, right? If we were to talk about life beyond these bones and their souls are definitely this kind of soul group there. So all of a sudden in my 20s, I moved to Nashville. I started having my own success, start getting the attention of the women that I'd always wanted to make out with. It was like, shit, this is fun, right? Like it was all above board because growing up with my sister and my mom, I never wanted to be a liar, right? I never wanted to be a player or whatever that is. And I always equated player of being dishonest with people, sure. right? Sure. Hell, I think I still do. So that is wanting to keep it light and joyful and also enjoying for the first time ever getting attention from the women that I wanted attention from and really enjoying that lifestyle and that life. But I will say before cancer, I had even thought, I'm tired of these intro conversations, right? Like, I don't need the casual sex. Well, I want the partner where we can dive deep into Tantra and let's have a spiritual relationship and a sensual sexual relationship. And I remember thinking, I'm tired of the intro conversations, hmm. right? I want more depth, to your point, in all my relationships, right? There's more to do than stand around this Red Door Bar in Nashville. The Red Door Bar is a great bar, right? But what else are we going to do? How else are we growing together and building community? The question that came into my head as you're talking about all this is, how do you evangelize like spread the gospel of your life philosophy without it coming across as being evangelical particularly to guys because put a through line through our conversation we talk about mentorship mentorship does not stop being needed like i'm 47 mm -hmm. years old i still could use mentors i think yep. th throughout your life you're going to need mentors at the same time, community is super important, regardless of whether it's a mentor or a peer or a mentee, to foster community and to have people around you is super important. Mm -hmm. All these studies are out talking about loneliness and men dying early, men saying they don't have close friends. You seem to be coming from a very good emotional place, a very open emotional place. and despite doing this podcast and interacting with people who really do have their shit together, I still feel like there are a lot of people that don't. And how do you evangelize to your friend group, to your people about all of the philosophies you espouse? I mean, well, the best way 
that you know, I think you, you embody this too, is leading by example, right? I think the most impactful leaders just try to live it, right? I also talk about it. And so I'm one to bring things up. And my friends that know me know that we can talk about those kind of things. Honestly, it's one of the things Judith and I are talking about right now, as far as this now what question that we're grateful to be able to ask. But what do we do? What are our goals? We think there's something we should probably create, the two of us, talking about relationships and our journey to be here in this healthy relationship. And that even in our healthy relationship, you have mornings like we had today, right? That were, were not at all how you would want your morning. Literally, I got up and meditated in there. And then within the, the hour, the whole morning was completely uh-huh. different. I mean, right? no, nothing's 100% perfect. <laughs> totally. So I think, how do I evangelize? Like in my life, I put out my book and I talk about it. I ask some of my friends to read early copies and give me their feedback. I ask my friends questions of, how are you feeling? How's life? Are you happy? And try to get past, how you doing? Okay, cool. You're good, right? Come on. Like we go a little deeper. And I got that question to me once of, Justin, it's so good to see you. Tell me, are you happy? And I was like, whoa, that <laughs> that's is a, a question. That's a, 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 a shot of cold water to the face. Yeah. Her name is Felice. She's a, a trained social worker. I met her at Gilda's Club, Cancer Support Communities. And I just love her. And you would love her too. But that, those kind of questions to me evoke at least a, a, a different emotional response and who you're asking that to, and sometimes a different answer. And that's why I always say yes to things like this, right? To whatever I can do to spread that. Last week, two Fridays ago, I spoke to Made in Memphis Entertainment. First of all, they've got the new Dougie Fresh album out. So <laughs> that in itself is awesome. And by the way, I can Dougie. I can do the Dougie. If you I can do the Dougie? On. Like, come on now. Uh, is there going to be a TikTok video of Justin Levinson doing the Dougie? Maybe if I could get my wife to do it with me. And also, she can jump rope as well as probably most people you've ever seen. But is stereotypically a white girl from West Tennessee. And she can get down on the double dutch. I'm telling you. Right? Okay. Uh, but I spoke to this group. that They have a speaker every month. It comes to talk to them. And they're a bunch of young, talented music industry executives that are early in their career. So just that's another example of let's lean in. Let's talk about it. And if you're listening here, reach out. I literally tell everybody, I'm down for a cup of coffee, right? If we don't live in the same city, we'll do a Zoom coffee. We're all used to that or Google Meet or whatever, you know? Right. And that's always my vibe too. It's like, talk about it, express how I try to live about it imperfectly so that we all know here we're human and also make myself available however possible. If you ever want to chew on something more deeply, let's go. Let's just talk about it. And I think always looking for more. Straight up, my mission in this life is to help make the world a better place and inspire you to want to do the same. And whatever strengths I have, those are the tool sets to execute my mission. So I'm literally trying to think now, what's the next way I can go execute my mission and use the tools? Because I have fun using the tools. I feel a deep connection and purpose when I'm moving toward my mission. So just natural, how do I find more opportunities to leverage those things? You know? And have you come up with any ideas yet? Yes and no. Yes, nothing final. So one of the things I've been thinking about is, and all this, I've just been sitting down with people that do it and friends and mentors, but looking at the world of fractional executives, whether that's as an operations kind of executive or product executive, things that I'm really great at and I'd love to continue to do. I've also looked at being a coach. I've had one coaching client so thus far in my life. And I was telling Nick the other night, actually, for me, when I was at the Jump Global Conference, There were a lot of coaches 
that kept coming up to me going, man, what are you doing? You should be a coach. How come you're not coaching? And so all of that sounds really great, right? At the same time, both of those examples are like trade work for money, time for money kind of thing. Totally cool. That's not a negative. I would also love to be able to build something that is some type of business or partnership. I have this desire, right? Of this feeling of what can I go create? And certainly I want to go create something to build wealth, but also something that I can pour into, be responsible for culture, help found something or start something. And thankfully, that doesn't have to be something that I exchange money for effort right now. We right. could bet on the IFCOM and bet on ourselves. And that sounds fun too. So I was managing a band. I stopped managing the band in November with a great friend of mine just to hold space. One, it was time. We're not the right people to manage that act, right? At the same time, I'm very aware that if you want something in your life, sometimes you have to create space for it before you exactly know when it is and what it is and when it's coming in your world, right? Sure. So fall in Nashville is my favorite. It's amazing weather. <laughs> so it's been like, yo, enjoy this. There's college football and go to some Titans games, enjoy life, go to California, have a good fall and just hold space and be open, have these conversations, see what the universe brings. And so in summary, I would say I'm looking at like the world of fractional or project help, because I have a lot of strengths in the operations, finance, technology world, looking at the coaching world, and then thinking of what are some ideas that problems to solve or opportunities to create. And thankfully, my bosses at open play and the team are saying, go, we love you do other things in addition to open play. Uh, let me know how we can help you. And so, yeah, I hope I have a better answer for that. This time next year, I guarantee you I will. Uh, but that's where I am so far. Well, I'm, I'm here for that. And having a supportive professional environment is also super important. Um, it's interesting to hear that you have been in a therapeutic environment pretty much your whole life. It sounds like a lot because um, yeah. my assumption would be that it's normalized for you in a way that it's not normalized for 95% of Americans. And I'm wondering for someone who's on the fence, what would you tell them is the most uh, valuable thing about therapy? And I, I say that realizing that the yeah. value will be different from person to person. Yeah. Uh, the first thing that comes to my head having an unbiased third party's opinion, especially when that third party is quite informed on humans, I found to be really impactful because as much as your friends and your girlfriend or wife or husband or this or that are going to try to be unbiased, they're clearly not, right? Yeah, that's impossible. Even your most real talking friend, right? Which I think you could be for people, I can be for people, and we both probably have those in our lives. Uh, it's still not the same as an unbiased third party who can listen, not just to one conversation, but to several over several days and identify patterns and thoughts and suggest coping best practices, et cetera, skills that can help. This podcast may be sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know. But on, on one, of the, one of the podcasts uh, that I listen to often is uh, sponsored by BetterHelp. And A lot of podcasts are. Maybe I'll try that out because the one guy I was going to, like, He's back on a waiting list, right? Because I found that he's cash only and it's $175 for 40 minutes and that's what it is. And he's on a waiting list and bless him, I'm glad because he helped me a lot when I needed some help. But I've even thought, hey, maybe I'll go get an unbiased check-in or two of where I am now. You know, I think that's just tremendous value. Otherwise, I hear him say on this commercial all the time, but there's 
a lightness that comes with information for me, right? Of a different perspective. And this can be, come with a doctor too, because straight up, I'm having a colonoscopy week after Christmas. You're 45. I got to do it. I'm 45. It's time. I've had one early in life to make sure everything was okay earlier on, but like, here it is. But I also had this other thing going on that I needed that same kind of doctor. And I was like, I got to get this thing checked out, whatever it is, man, my head was spinning. It was sore or whatever was going on. Right. And I'm like, Shit. Finally saw a doctor this week and man, I felt so much lighter just <laughs> after I had information. And that's why I bring that up of, all right, I got this appointment scheduled. I'm going to have this other procedure scheduled at the top of the year. And this is what's going on and don't freak out. It's all good. And this is normal. Welcome to being a man in your mid forties, son. But I felt lighter because I had information. I thought, okay, okay, you did I the can thing. kind of chill there. And that's what I would encourage all of you if you're listening to this, right? And you have never done it. Imagine whatever the one thing is that comes to your mind right now when you hear me talking about this and that you might enjoy having an unbiased third party and most of your insurance is going to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And so, and the reason I honestly bring up better help, because most of the time you don't have to worry about ever seeing that person in, in your community person. ever. Yeah. Yeah. ever and you can text with them if you like to text yeah. right you can talk without your camera on right whatever level of engagement and that's what i've thought of like clearly someone who's comfortable just i'm just walking off the street <laughs> and talk right but not everybody and you can have one call and decide i want to try somebody different and i swear i'm not endorsed by them but i've thought what an inch that they make that makes sense especially to you said to your point people that maybe are not like me that didn't grow up in a culture of that like my wife, she's never been to a therapist. She's had coaches and she got a relationship coach and she got other things, but never been in a therapeutic type of scenario, you know? And look, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up my sister struggles with bipolar disorder. My mom has been depressed and is now has dementia and memory issues that may have been caused by strong drugs being prescribed over decades with a daily couple glasses of white wine, right? And now memories starting to be impacted some at 75 and anxiety has been a thing and I've witnessed that and honestly I think cannabis for me has helped me deal with anxiety before I even realized I had anxiety because I didn't know until my cancer journey what anxiety felt like right like I think I'd always had it at a pretty low manageable level and whenever I felt kind of like I just come twist one up man like I love to do and I think that was my self-medication I remember even in the blogs wrote early on something about how I wanted anti-anxiety meds, but the doctors wouldn't give me any because of the stage I was in before surgery or whatever. And my mom and sister were like, oh, really? Look who <laughs> wants the drugs, right? Mr. Frickin' Judgmental Justin about us and our drugs is asking for drugs, right? Hello, insert lesson of perspective. And as much as I try to feel them in those moments, I was clearly judging them for not being able to manage their anxiety themselves and not being able to use whatever tools they had at their disposal to make their life better. And so a prescription did that. And I'll be damned, I was scared as hell to take it, but I wanted it because I was freaking out and I cannot. And so, man, perspective, love, right? Like I thought I was loving them, but maybe I wasn't loving them quite as much as I could have in that moment because my judgments may have been getting in the way. Man, it's... Obviously, you don't know what it's like to be in a situation until you're actually in that situation. You can imagine. Yeah. But being in situations like that does give you, hopefully, 
a new perspective on people that you may have criticized or laughed off or waved off before that go through similar things. Yes. And I'll just share this because the other topic that I'm still growing through is money, right? And I inherited a lot of money stuff from my family. To this day, my parents struggle, right? And my wife is a Reiki master. And so there was this period post-cancer where I was like, screw it. I, I literally would call the music industry, quote, the beautiful woman that I came to the dance with, I want to dance off into the sunset with the beautiful woman of helping other people, right? Because it was this very binary either or thing for me at the time. And then I just chilled. I started looking for jobs eventually. So I would stop spending my savings. And I looked everywhere but music and I wasn't getting called back and I was stressed out. And I literally started driving Lyft and Uber because I needed to take control of my life. I'd had to borrow five grand from my wife. I'm this person that I had been saving 18 cents on every dollar I made for my entire career. And I'd almost wiped that out. Post-cancer, I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to like chill. I was dating this awesome woman who is a music publicist and just travel some and whatever. And I pushed it too far. I started driving Lyft and Uber and it was tough. My wife is, she's my girlfriend at the time doing a Reiki session on me. And she says, stop, you need to go make peace with the 16 year old version of yourself mm. and tell them everything's going to be okay. And what she's talking about is I was 16 years old. I was a sophomore or around that in high school. And my dad told us, I lost my job. I've been living at or above our means. We're going to be selling the house and trying to find a home to rent, whatever. And I remember saying, I'm never going to be like you when I grow up and looking him in the face and saying that. And that was all my judgment at the time. But since then, up until a certain point, man, I've judged people all the time. I never had credit card debt. I always saved whatever. I would judge people that had credit card debt and because, or that I perceived to be making bad decisions like my dad made. And all of a sudden, that judgment was raining down on me because I went from a couple hundred thousand dollars in a bank account, low mortgage, a lot of money coming in proportionately to buy a new home, higher mortgage, start draining the, the IRA, leave CSAC, no income coming in. What the hell? I'll, I'll, instead of paying off my credit card every month and just using them. Um, for points and free tickets and stuff. All of a sudden sure. I start carrying a balance that builds up. There's debt, there's debt. All of a sudden that was more painful for me than cancer, right? Mm. That experience around money, cancer is like, you know, everybody circles the wagon. And honestly, it's like, do you fight this and you live or you fight this and you die? And thankfully I was in the, so far the story of I'm going to fight this. I'm going to heal myself and we're going to move on and carry the positive before it. The money thing was real. It was what it is, right? It's like, oh shit, what am I going to do? And I went there that night in that session, in this meditative state, and went and had a conversation with the 16-year-old version of myself. And I told him that everything is going to be amazing. And you do want to be like your father because a lot of your best qualities and traits come from your father and that everything's going to be just fine. And Talk about a shift, right? Literally the next week I had lunch with Andrew at Big Machine and started the process of getting a job. But more so energetically, it was a shift for me of knowing energetic weight was off my shoulders. A weight that I didn't even know that was on my was shoulders. There, right, yeah. Until I removed and uh, I think it goes in the category of the masks. We could stand naked in front of a mirror and take off all these masks 
that we see the world through and see our life through. And hopefully we have no mask on and we're seeing this pure love self. But the reality is most of us have at least a mask we put on every once in a while. It's true. And so for me, it was this, I had never even looked at it that way. And so that money journey was the thing. And it's been a fun learning process over the past, what, five years from that point of rebuilding some savings and having a partner that's like this whole other thing of combining our lives together and whatever. But when you talk about healing and vulnerability and stuff, I straight up, I felt all the judgment that I had been pouring on everybody else for years, squarely in my lap all at the same time of, do I need to sell the home? What should I do? (laughs) Talk about, we all need mentors. For many years, I was a part of Project Music, which is a music tech accelerator that's housed at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center. The Entrepreneur Center is amazing. This program's great. And I was in a mentor session with this woman from Northern California who had a, had a big, successful music education platform. And she sat down for the session. She was like, look, if you don't mind, can we talk about you today? Because I'm waiting on this last offer for this acquisition, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah, I could probably use it. I tell her, I'm really going through some stuff tough financial things right now. And I'm literally trying to figure out, do I sell the home and wipe out the debt with the equity and walk away with a couple hundred grand cash and my girlfriend and I go find a place to live? Or do I take out some equity thing or do this and blah, blah. She was like, hold on a minute. So you're telling me that the worst case scenario is that you sell your home, pay off all your debt and walk away with $200,000 cash tax-free with a woman who loves you? I was like, oh, yeah, I see how that sounds, <laughs> right? <laughs> but man, again, perception, that was where I was. That was really tough for me because of these stories I had told myself and the constructs around money that hopefully I don't have anymore, but I certainly had then. Um, but that mentorship came from when I least expected it. I was literally at a session supposed to mentor her. Exactly. Gonna, and she hit I, me right in the gut in the best way. That's so fortuitous. That that came to you at the right, and you didn't know where the vessel, yeah. what the vessel was that was going to deliver that to you, but it got delivered to you at the right time. It did. And it so did. sounds like you took it in, which I think some people who directly or indirectly receive advice don't always do. I I think you're right, and look, I think you talk about vulnerability on this podcast for a man, maybe to be able to sit with a stranger and talk about especially financial, like we're supposed to be the providers and, yeah. the, you know, this machismo kind of like thing. I don't have, I'm, that doesn't make me uncomfortable. And I can understand that maybe some people that makes them uncomfortable, right? And the idea of telling a stranger that you're struggling with money and you're in this place. But I guess the reward for that spontaneous vulnerability was that I got served with words from her and energy ultimately from her and love from her that I needed, I needed. And so I never thought of it that until this moment of maybe that was, that's the reward of being vulnerable is not just about putting out, but it's the reflection of that putting out and and the ripples that it may cause in other people's, but how those ripples may come back and splash on you, you know? Yeah. I mean, what's the stupid cliche, quiet mouths don't get fed or whatever. (laughs) I'm going to fuck it up, but you got to say something in order, in order to be helped, you have to express the fact that you need help. That's exactly right. Final question. Uh, how does Justin pour into himself? What are the things you do that kind of put you in a good space throughout the day? Yeah, so that's a great question. For me, it's having a practice of moving my body. 
I like to do it and start my day. It's having some level of mindful meditation practice, although it's never enough. It's never consistent enough, but it's always there. It's there, but I always want it to be more. I think paying attention to the food that I put in my body is super important because when I do it well and I nourish my body, I just feel better. I'm more balanced. I feel better. For me, alcohol is one of the things that as of late, I'm having a healthier relationship with alcohol. I don't think it was ever totally unhealthy, but I, I remember telling Judith a, a year and a half ago or something, I don't want any more three bottle of wine Tuesday nights. Like, I mean, that's a bottle and a half of wine each. It's not crazy, but over six hours, we're just drinking wine and hanging out, listening to records. But it's like, I don't need that. So it's having a healthy relationship with alcohol because when I do, I sleep better. I feel great the next day and I have more energy. And honestly, it makes that celebratory drink better for me if I choose to do that. And I think it's surrounding myself with people that like, I'm aligned with, but also not 100% because I like diverse thoughts and opinions, you know? It's good to be challenged. And, and absolutely, man. Yeah. Racially and otherwise, right? Diversity of thought, diversity of background, diversity of experiences. I think that's important. And I feel like I'm missing something, but Really moving my body, having some level of mindfulness practice for me is good. Nutrition, which I will wrap alcohol in there, but paying attention to what I put in my body and how that supports the mission of how active I want to be. And also keeping it light sometimes. I'm super intense. And so sometimes I really try to just chill it out a bit. Like be in the flow a little bit more because I'm real good at planning. I'm really good at flow charts and spreadsheets and all that stuff. <laughs> Right. But I want to make sure I'm always staying in the flow and like working to manifest life, but also keeping some flexibility of there because you may not know how great it could be down this other path, you know? Yeah. You can't plan for what you plan for isn't going to work out 100% to the ways that you want it to yep. work out. You have to leave a little yep. room for fluidity there. That yeah. Thankfully, yep. it happens that way. Right. I mean, how many amazing things in your life have happened? And you're like, man, I'm glad what I thought I wanted didn't happen because this other story played out in this amazing way. Straight up, brain cancer was the best thing that's ever happened in my life, right? Which anybody that just hears that sound bite might think, what the fuck? Right. I'm telling you, the growth that has come from something that I was most afraid of is something that I never ex thought I would experience, that... I don't want to die today because there's a lot of cool shit in the human world that I want to still get to go do, but I'm happier and more at peace than I ever was pre-cancer. And so I think keeping that joy flowing, baby, and having fun, you know? Are you going to commemorate the 10th anniversary of the discovery? Is, does that mean something to you? Yeah, it typically does. And I typically do. Because to me, it's a positive thing. My wife was like, why, why do you celebrate that? Because to me, it's about transformation, right? It's about this healing of self on a way deeper level than malignant tissue. So yeah, on February 3rd, I typically have at least a moment where I, maybe we go have dinner, we celebrate, we think about it. And I've gotten involved in the Vanderbilt Young Adult Cancer Group and I've and shared my book with a lot of people there. And I think I heard something the other day. We're best positioned to serve the person we once were. And so we talked about all those things on this podcast, yeah. most of them. So then I think, all right, well, I've always said I'm not a cancer story. 
I'm an awakening by way of cancer, right? That awakening, that healing, those things come in our lives in a lot of different forms. And so I've always been one to be like, hey, man, how are you doing? Especially in that time, maybe like, oh, well, I had a bad day, but I can't complain around you. I mean, you've got cancer. I'm like, no, <laughs> man, come on. My day is really great right now. And you could be having a really shitty moment, man, because you got broken up with or you lost your job or you're struggling with something. Or that could be way more painful in your experience right now than what I'm going through. But our minds like to classify and like measure. So it's always just a positive reminder. So yes, I will commemorate it. And I always do. And I always want to encourage anybody that reaches out to me about it. Do something nice. If you're thinking about me, do something nice for somebody that doesn't expect it in my honor or something. What a ray of sunshine. Uh, I, I really appreciate Justin's attitude, particularly considering what he's been through. Um, obviously, uh, when you've been through something as unfortunate as a brain tumor, um, it's really hard to find silver linings, but uh, God damn it, he did it. So kudos to him. Uh, if you want to know about more, I should say, about Justin, more than what you hear in this podcast, uh, you can go to his website, which is justinlevinson.com. Uh, J-U-S-T-I-N-L-E-V-E-N-S-O-N. And I don't know why I spell these because the name of the person I'm speaking to is usually right there in the title of the podcast. Um, his book is called You Are Stronger Than You Think, How to Awaken the Superhero Within. Uh, thank you to my friend Rio for gifting me a copy of the book. And uh, I hope you enjoy it as well if you read it. He's also on Instagram at Justin Levinson. So check him out there if you are one of those folks that is into the social medias. Thanks again, Justin, for sharing your time and your story. And hopefully we have you back someday. Thank you for listening to Detoxicity. I hope you found this particular episode interesting. And if you are new, I hope you go back and listen to all of the older episodes. Uh, once again, my name is Mike Joseph. I am the host and producer of this show. And uh, there are a lot of things that you can do to continue to support our mission, continue to support this podcast. Uh, follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, Twitter, and I'm on TikTok as DetoxPodGuy. Uh, you can also send me an email if you'd like. I'm at detoxpod at gmail.com. I am always on the hunt for people with interesting, inspirational, and powerful stories. So if you know somebody who fits that bill or if you yourself fit that bill, please don't hesitate to drop me a line via email or via social media. Uh, please make sure you subscribe on your podcast platform that you're listening to this on. Uh, rate, comment, help a brother out, uh, help us move up in the rankings, uh, follow me on social media, like I said, uh, follow our Patreon, or subscribe to my Patreon, actually, patreon.com slash detoxicitypod, you get access to exclusive episodes, you get episodes a little earlier than the general public, you get a cool-ass sticker, lots of stuff, once again, patreon.com slash detoxicitypod, quick shout out to Calvin Williams for providing the music, and, uh, doing his magic on the logo which was originally designed by jacob block i thank you all for listening i wish you all the best please take care of each other till next time peace